0: on the way. Good! Yeah. Garland down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has rocket. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your host, lifelong Cavs fan, Bob Schmidt, at Fear the Fro pod on Twitter, fropod.com, bob at fropod.com if you want to email the show. Now, for those of you who know how I typically lay these podcasts out, usually it's centered around current events, games that have happened, games that are upcoming, uh, news regarding the Cavaliers. Today I wanted to try something a bit more abstract, and that is because of just the volume of material that would need to be discussed in order to do this justice. So, what I wanted to talk about today was Cavalier trade options. Now, we've seen a lot of news out there, and if I have a frustration, I guess, I don't know if that's the word that I would go with, about a lot of the news that comes out around trade deadline, is that things just as open-ended as, the Cavaliers would be interested if blah, blah, blah comes available, or the Cavaliers have inquired about such and such. Now, we've seen the same names out there again and again. Ojan Bogdanovich, uh, Kyle Kuzma, even OG Ananobi as a pipe dream for a lot of Cavalier fans. What I don't like about that discussion is that, in, in some senses, it's a waste of breath. The Cavaliers do not have the ammo in their treasure chest to make moves like that. One, because those are highly sought-after potential trade candidates. A lot of teams would be bidding. And there is basically no world in which the Cavaliers could take second round picks and their expiring deals, guys like Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, uh, Raul Neto, Robin Lopez, Dylan windler and turn those into players like a boy on Bogdanovich. Because if you're the Detroit Pistons, what incentive is there for you? If somebody's willing to give you a largely unprotected first round pick, or even a lot of protected first round pick, you'll take that. 10 days out of 10. So, this conversation is not meant to discuss the names that we've seen out there again and again. This is meant to be an exploration of some lesser spoken of options. And the way I want to structure this is as follows. The trade deadline is coming up on February 9th. So, roughly a month away. I wanted to dive into some teams that I think are realistic options as teams that may be sellers to explore some of the people who may come available that might be a bit more attainable for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, I plan to start in a very logical way, the Atlanta Hawks. Alphabetically, that's logical, and also because that team meets the criteria of a squad which I think is a very realistic seller. They have a large payroll, they have big expectations, trading for DeJounte Murray in the offseason, and being expected to do big things, because this was a team that was in the conference finals just a couple years back, And now they have plummeted. They are 18 and 21 at the time I'm taping this. The time I'm releasing this, it might be even more drastic. But because I have some traveling ahead of me in this week, you're just take the standings thing with a grain of salt. It doesn't really impact this discussion unless between the time that I say this and this comes out, they have traded some of the people that I spoke of. But let's dive into their roster a bit because I think there's some people on that squad who could be, interesting options for the Cavaliers should the Hawks find themselves in a situation to make some moves. Now, I've structured this in a way where there's guys that I would consider people we should look into, and then there's some value guys and maybe situational things. So the first category, prize, the prize asset, Ooh. the prize asset and the prize asset for me, at least as a Cavalier fan on the Atlanta Hawks roster would be Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now, this is a guy who meets a lot of the things which the Cavaliers are looking to address in a trade possibility. He plays the wing. He can play between the two and the three and does it with regularity. He is in what is likely the final year of his contract. So he doesn't provide that much value to the Hawks to retain unless this is somebody who they plan to bring back at whatever cost he may have. Because Bogdan has a situation where he has a player option coming into the summer. Now, he could exercise that option, and the Hawks would pay him $18 million. But as a 30-year-old, this may be his last chance to really cash in on a long-term deal. Now, the value of that deal in free agency might be similar to what he's getting now. Guys who are good sixth men, situational starters, they make roughly $18 to $20 million in this league. We see it time and time again. Just over the last few seasons, Fournier. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., Norman Powell, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. These guys all hover around that 20 million mark. So, would he be attainable? Perhaps. There are things to consider. As with any trade, would the Cavaliers want him? Well, let's discuss that. In order to get a guy like Bogdan, you would have to give up Levert, in all likelihood. If you don't, it would take some semblance of Osman and a bunch of minor parts. Now, I would not advocate a deal centering around Osman because he has a year left after this year, as opposed to Levert, who will be a free agent. And his value, honestly, as a bench scorer, has been too good for the Cavs. I think the production he provides versus the cost of him and the fact that we have contractual control next year makes him a more desirable piece in a trade than both Levert and Bogdan. Now, don't confuse that. I'm not saying that he's better than Bogdan what he provides, and knowing that he costs you just $6.7 million next year versus a complete unknown whether Bogdan would even come back to the Cavs after this season. That's what makes him more valuable. So that brings us to Levert, who, since being called upon after Darius Garland went down yet again with an injury, has stepped up. Since that Brooklyn loss, in the next five games, Levert averaged 19 points, five rebounds, and three assists. And he did it while shooting 47-44 splits, which is fantastic. Perhaps the wrong time to consider pulling the plug on the Lavert experiment. Would we want to give up Lavert for Bogdan? Well, that's a matter of perspective, I suppose. Here's the negatives, as it were, but a lot of these apply to Lavert as well. Bogdan has had injury issues over the last few seasons. He's played 60 games just one time since joining the Hawks, played 44 games in 2021-22, and this season he has played just 16 games, recently came back. But in the time since he has come back, this is a man who is a legitimate floor spacer, one of the best three-point shooters on the entire Hawks roster, if not the best, this season shooting 40% from three-point land over the course of his career, which is six seasons, a 39% three-point shooter. Now, Karis Levert has been in the league for seven seasons. This is his seventh year. And in that span of time, he has only played 60 games one time. So I'm not glazing over that Bogdan has had injury issues, but Levert has had more injury issues. Now, as a scorer, Bogdan is better. He's averaging 17 points a game. But the main benefit of him would be that you think he's just situationally a better fit to be able to spell the guys like Mitchell and Garland and a more consistent three-point shooter. You would be trading the playmaking of Lavert in order to bring in a more reliable scorer. Now, defensively, Bogdan is dog shit. He might be the second worst defensive player on the Hawks outside of Trey Young. That would be a step back. And here's the thing about Karras as well, is that with Rubio's return to the lineup, a lot of the secondary creation may prove to be unnecessary. Now that's contingent on Rubio staying healthy, of course. So to the other side, why would the Hawks do this? The only scenario in which the Hawks would be incentivized to take what is essentially an expiring deal is if A, they thought Levert would fit their long-term vision better than Bogdan Bogdanovich and they wanted to discuss an extension with him, or B, if they were incentivized to flip their asset, who's expiring, for another, which is expiring. Now to fit, I don't see why the Hawks would think that Lavert fits better than Bogdan. Lavert needs the ball in his hands to function. They already have that issue with Trey Young not being able to play off ball, having to share the load with DeJounte Murray, two guys who are going to be there for quite some time. So the idea that Lavert is the missing piece to turn them from an underachieving team into some kind of Eastern Conference contender seems far-fetched to me. If they're going to flip an expiring for an expiring, and Bogdan and Lavert. The only reason they would do it is if they've essentially thrown in the towel on the season and they say, hey, let's get a second rounder or some cash or some scrub like Windler just to make this thing work because at least it's showing the fans that we're trying to do the best we can in what is otherwise a failed season. And I don't think you can throw that towel in before the All Star break. They're on the fringe of the play in, that's true, but the separation between the Hawks right now, and the Knicks is just three and a half games, and the Knicks are firmly in the playoff race. So a bit early to think that the Hawks are just going to concede that, whoa, we bone this season pretty hard. Let's just punch out. So having explored Bogdan, that brings us to a second guy on the roster that falls into a different category. Circumstantial deal. Maybe. The circumstantial deal. The deal where Okay, I've heard nothing about this. I have no reason to believe that this would be a deal that could be discussed. But perhaps it's one that the Hawks should explore. DeAndre Hunter. Now, DeAndre Hunter, you may recall, as being a guy who was drafted as somebody who they thought would be a defensive stalwart who could space the floor fairly well, a pretty good three-point shooter. But in reality, what has happened over the course of his first several seasons in the league is that he has had trouble staying healthy as well. His rookie season he played 63 games, but since then, 23 53 and he started 30 of the games that he's played, all 30 for the Hawks so far this season. So hasn't missed much time this season, but he just signed a rookie extension and next year it kicks in. DeAndre Hunter will be making a significant amount of money. 20 million dollars next season, followed by three more seasons all in excess of 20 million dollars. A 4-year million extension. He is a very pricey piece and a pricey piece who exists on a roster full of pricey pieces because the Hawks are spending $160 million next year. The cap is expected to be about $128 million. So they are significantly over that amount. They'll be paying luxury tax and they have four guys on their roster that is not Bogdan Bogdanovich and DeJounte Murray making in excess of $20 million. Trey Young, $40 million deal, John Collins, he signed that big five for 25 a year deal just a couple seasons ago, Clint Capella making $20 million next year, and then Murray with his extension kicking in. Here's the thing with, uh, oh, I said Murray, I meant Hunter, excuse me. Here's the thing with Hunter. Hunter is a serviceable player. He averages 15 points a game. He shoots about 36% from three over the course of his career, decent rebounder. Decent defender, maybe not everything that everybody expected him to be, but solid. And he may be just the type of plug-in guy that the Cavs would look to take on, and they wouldn't shy away from his money because, well, you know what? We're going to be way over the cap anyway once our extensions kick in. Let's just focus our efforts on finding the optimal plug-in fit. And a guy who could defend and space the floor and play big to small. Now, Hunter is more of a 3-4 But if he was in discussions for the Hawks, that brings us to the, well, why would the Hawks do this? There's one reason to get out of an extension that they already regret. Because again, for them to get rid of him, there is no replacement value taking on an expiring deal like Karis LeVert. They would have to be so remorseful over the big deal that they gave DeAndre Hunter and over the cap situation that they found themselves in, despite the fact that they're not contending That they just decided, you know what, this is an exit strategy. This is our way to get out of a deal that's big money for a fairly ancillary part of our roster. And we pull the trigger there. Now, do I like DeAndre Hunter? Sure. Do I like him at $20 Not really. But it's that type of distressed asset that allows you to go in on a guy. And he is significantly younger. Karis LeVert, 28 years old. DeAndre Hunter, a few years younger than that, just sort of entering the early part of the prime years of a guy's career. And if he could manage to string it together and stay healthy, then maybe, maybe that could work out. But here's the thing I don't really love any of these. So far, the two guys we've discussed, Bogdan and Hunter, they've had injury issues. Levert's had injury issues. We're talking about swapping different types of problems. So, circumstantially, do I think it could be something that could work? Maybe. It addresses a position we need, but he's not a knockdown three-point shooter either. That's the thing. If there's one thing that people are frustrated with Levert in, and this is in a season where he's having his best three-point shooting year ever, mind you, is that, oh, well, I would love an elite three-point shooter. DeAndre Hunter is not that. Bogdan is much closer to that. 40%, that may not sound like a big difference from 34, 35, 36%, but it is. And there's not a lot of separation between Levert and DeAndre Hunter. Now that brings us to the last category dumpster diving. Stop it! These are the people that nobody is going to be excited about. And these are the types of deals that will cost you next to nothing. Sometimes just cash and the space to absorb something. The last guy that might be worth looking into is Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday is old by anyone's NBA standards. 33 years old. He's six foot six. can play between the 2 and the 3. Now, he's not going to blow anyone away. He's, he's not going to outpace a bunch of the options we already have on the roster. He's just simply a guy who would fill a roster spot and provide some injury insurance. Uh, he's found his way kind of pushed out of the Hawks rotation. He's down to his lowest minutes per game since way early in his career. This year, playing just 15 minutes a game. And a big part of the reason for that is that A.J. Griffin has essentially taken his role, the rookie from Duke, who has managed to shake some of the injury concerns that people had about him and has played very well since entering the Hawks rotation. So with him and Jalen Johnson in the fold, Holiday has found himself with an expiring deal, $6 million. He's likely not coming back next season. He's not really even in the rotation. So he'd cost little to nothing. And maybe this is a guy that you take a chance on if nothing else materializes. But Holiday could just as easily find himself bought out and signing with someone at the trade deadline anyway, if the Hawks happen to find themselves out of it and just want to do a goodwill gesture to a veteran who's looking to find a team where he could actually play some kind of role. Dumpster diving is going to be the types of deals that nobody's excited about. It's really just bringing awareness to a player who may find himself on the buyout market nine times out of ten. Now, there's one other guy on the Hawks roster that gets discussed all the time. I don't think he's even a fit for us. That's John Collins. But John Collins may be the most likely of the Hawks to get traded because the Hawks committed five years, $125 million to him, and he has just not proven to be a good fit with that roster. He's been coming on as of late, though. In his last several games, Collins has had multiple mid-20 point efforts, 26, 21, 25, 22, double-digit rebounds. So he's starting to claw his way up. But the thing with John Collins is that where he had significantly regressed was in the category of three-point shooting. Everybody looked at John Collins as a fringe 2010 guy who could space the floor pretty effectively. This was a man who shot over 40% the course of an entire season who shot 39.9 just below 40% this year he has gone from shooting mid to high 30% from outside the arc to just 23% from three point land and his field goal percentage has dipped below 50% for the first time in his career too so it's only a 30 game sample maybe it's just a rough start to the season maybe he'll shake it but that has made him a distressed asset and a buy low candidate I don't bring him up in this discussion because The only scenario in which that deal would happen is if, again, the Hawks are just doing whatever they can to get out of long-term committed money. And if that situation played out, it would essentially be the Cavs saying, let's try to turn Kevin Love, an aging veteran, who, while we all love him, uh, is not really lined up with this core, and try to piece in somebody who we think could be a floor-spacing big who could fill his role. And then maybe. But again, they're not just going to give Collins away. Collins is a guy who they may get off of that contract if there's enough of an incentive or players who they think fit into their long-term situation there with the Hawks. But the problem with this whole discussion, honestly, and if I was a Hawks fan listening to me blather on about this, the problem with my perspective on this whole thing is I'm talking about the Hawks like they built this whole team. This is the first year they've had Murray there, and they'd already pulled the plug. It just doesn't generally happen that fast. The only way it happens that fast is if Trey Young tries to force his way out and then the Hawks see the writing on the wall and say, "Well, shit, we don't want a Cavs post LeBron situation. If Trey Young is going to force his way out of here, we've got to ditch all these high-priced pieces before we have no leverage because people know that we're 100% sellers." And that's a scenario like with what what Minnesota did in offloading Gobert before Mitchell. That was very smart because They managed to get an insane haul from Minnesota, Uh, Utah did. I I don't know what I said there. I think I might have flipped those teams. But what Utah did in offloading Gobert before they did Mitchell, I think it was a wise move by Ainge because he got a return he never should have got. Because in reality, paying Gobert near what $170 million over the next four years for a guy who you have to take out late in games sometimes because of situational disadvantages, that is a... Bad acquisition by the Timberwolves. And your hope if you're the Hawks and you see the writing on the wall and you think Trey's going to force his way out is that you pull the plug on some of these guys before they lose a ton of their value. And Collins would be one of those types of pieces that if for whatever reason that you haven't made him this integral long-term piece of your team and that you're even considering shopping him, maybe you know something that you think other teams are just overlooking. Well, then you get out when you can for the best return you can. And sadly, that will not be the Cavs because we don't have any picks to bundle with these expiring assets. We are simply a a buyer who's willing to take on long-term money teams want to get out of. We have very little to incentivize that with, unfortunately. So that will be my discussion on the Atlanta Hawks. I'm sorry. That is probably far more discussion than you wanted to hear. I will label these in a way where if you want to just skip over all of these because you hate trade talk, you can do it. But if you have people you want discussed, bob at fropod.com, Thank you for listening to the Fear the Fro podcast. As I said, traveling a bit this week, I may throw up a couple of these, but thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast, the reviews, the ratings. You've been amazing. More Fear the Fro pod on the way. Liver, lob the motley. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy Bob Schmidt always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.